Welcome to Hair of the Werewolf. I'm Chase, and I'm here with my co-host, Lily. Hey, guys. And we are a supernatural horror podcast that aims to tell scary stories and maybe have a drink or two, whatever <laughs> we need to do to take care of whatever ails us from our hard weeks. So cheers to all of you who are joining us tonight. Lily, what are you drinking tonight? I'm dinking. <laughs> I'm dinking. I'm <laughs> dinking. I'm drinking Prost. Uh, it's my first beer, believe it or not, and it's a Kolsch. Nice. I am... I'm on root beer tonight. Delicious root beer. I'm a huge fan of root beer, but yeah, I'm on an antibiotic, so I gotta be. <laughs> I gotta behave. So, yeah, you really do. This is not the kind where you want to drink any alcohol on. Yeah. So, anyway, gotta be a little responsible, but that doesn't mean we still can't have fun. So, before we get into the stories, few things. So, there's another horror movie that we're gonna watch in a couple days. That, and I'm telling you about it because it's streaming on Amazon Prime for free. So, for those of you that have Prime. Maybe you'll be interested. It's called Halloween Party. It's a 2020 movie, and it's totally a teen scream, so it's not for everybody. Halloween Party? I don't even know what that is. Yeah, so as far as I can tell, it's college students are haunted (laughs) by mysterious happenings. The trailer suggests that an app brings people's worst fears to life, right? (laughs) Oh, wait, this sounds familiar. And that their dorm previously was used for some sort of nefarious purpose. Don't know what specifically. Ooh. I'm assuming that's a big plot point. Yeah. Um, it looks cheesy. It's totally a teen scream, but I'm excited to see. I mean, it's kind of like every time new technology exists, at some point there's some guy who's like, we have to make a horror movie about this. Like, <laughs> there's no Black Christmas talked about how scary telephones can be. And, you know, when, well, I mean, they weren't I mean, new think, at the time, but yeah. I mean, still. And so there's movies about cars that are bad. So all of a sudden someone's like, ooh, apps. Everything's all about apps. But anyway, someone's like, there's an app that's haunted. I'm like, all right, well, they just don't understand how I've technology done, works. Like, but a ton of movies that are technology based. There was that one that I watched that was Isn't like friend request or well, friend there was zone unfriended, or something. Unfriended. And then friend request. I think there's like a few of them that are kind of uh, more or less but they Well those are social media. This one seemed to be like But it's like technology it's like yeah. computers and you know whatever. I find most of the concepts absolutely ridiculous and completely stupid, but that doesn't mean I don't have fun watching them. And I love me a good teen scream. So uh, if you don't like teen screams, you might want to avoid this one like a plague. But if you're if you're <laughs> totally into watching something with a subpar plot just to watch some crazy slasher type horror, this might be up your alley. So we're going to watch that this week. If we get around to it, we'll talk about whether or not we liked it next week. No spoilers, obviously. Um, yeah, I've been in horror mode like constant mm-hmm. these last... I, I just beat two horror video games. While you were busy being responsible and researching for the podcast. I know. It always takes me longer. I think I just, I have a bad habit of taking a lot of breaks and then also not researching what I'm supposed to be researching. I we, just... we, we both have bad habits. You start <laughs> early, but you take a million breaks, so it takes you forever to get research on. <laughs> me, I wait until the last minute and then I do all my research like in one hardcore swell. I'm like, like swoop. yeah, I'm like, I'm going to take a break. Okay, I think I can watch an hour of this episode. <laughs> That's my break. But, I mean, I have no idea which of you guys are, are guys and gals, which one of you people out there are uh, gamers at all. But so I just beat the original Resident Evil that came out in like 1996, I think, when mm-hmm. we were all kids. Um, and then I beat uh, another game called Carrier, which came out in 2000. Both of them are like cheesy survival horrors, zombies and everything like that. You and me, mm-hmm. I just, uh, we're going to play the brand new Resident Evil well, it's not brand new. It's a couple years old now. Resident Evil 7. I just bought it, so it's new to me. Yeah, you We're told gonna... me you're going to make... Well, not make me. It's not like you're <laughs> forcing me or something. But yeah, you said you wanted to do that. We so. were going to play it together, and we we're going to record 
our thoughts during it. And if there's anything fun with that, I might put it on my YouTube channel because I have a gaming YouTube channel. So, but if it sucks, then we're not going to do anything with it. <laughs> going to try it out. We're so going to ignore fun. it even exists and pretend it didn't happen. Yeah, as a heads up, we're not sure of the exact date. We will give an announcement when we know better uh, on our social media, but we do have a game night, a game episode coming up soon. Yeah. Pretty excited about that. I mean, I obviously got to finish my antibiotics so before it's, it happens. Yeah, because you're like on a 10-day thing. And I'm on, so. but I'm two days in. Yeah, but you're not going to make it by next weekend. Oh, absolutely not. So, and so as long as the schedule permits, the following episode would be the earliest, but we'll let you guys know on social media, but... Just be excited for it because if you guys want to drink along with us, that would be the episode. Do Woo-hoo. it. Yeah, we'll prepare you yeah. for sure. And then uh, post the rules, I think, maybe one more time oh, or we'll post whatever. Every, I think we should always have the rules posted every time we do a game night. Okay, that's probably a good idea. You slowly modify the rules and we're like, this one doesn't ever come up or we've got a new one. So we'll always have the rules on our Instagram as one of the images. We, uh, we can change the rules at any point. So that is our right. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's it's a privilege. It's a privilege. Um. <laughs> But anyway, so I guess, um, do you have anything else to add before we jump into the stories? No, I had no news whatsoever. Well, you know, I'm pretty quarantine boring. and all that. I, well, actually, well, I mean, quarantine is mostly It's pretty much now, uh, for us here in New Mexico, or Albuquerque at the very least, it's definitely gotten a lot more lenient and more friends and people are going out. So aside from... So being more social, that, which is great. Yeah, we are being more social. I mean, obviously, we, you and I are vaccinated, so that helps. And Yeah, I think it... Yeah, it's good. So, but aside from that, no, I have no news. All right. Well, without any further delays, then let's jump into your story. Okay. So, this story I have today, it's a little different. Um, So is mine later. This is great. Yeah. So, (laughs) I actually had done some research on it like a long time ago and told you about it at the time, but not a whole lot. Like, I was just mentioning this place or whatever and um so when i started it i'm like oh yeah this is gonna be good it's got some weird like paranormal stuff going on and then lo and behold as i'm doing more research i feel like i've kind of dipped into your realm a little Uh, bit um, you can't steal my stuff (laughs) i didn't know it was like why you gotta steal my stuff bro but it's it's gonna be good i really tried to do it justice because you're so good at the ufo stuff I wouldn't say this is full-heartedly UFO-focused because it does have other strange stuff going on that will uh, veer into my section, but I think it's a good mix. But anyway. So so it does have UFO stuff? I think so. All right. Well, then that means you need to start your story the way no. I start my, you got to do it. You make me do it. It's your turn. Wait. What is it again? Well, now it's a beginning of episode instead of end of episode. Oh, right, right, right. So give it a shot. So get ready for the beginning episode. Encounter. 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 Not bad. It's your first time, though. <laughs> I even, like, my hands were even doing a thing. Oh, it was very animated. You guys can see how, like, much movement was in there. I had to really prepare. I was really trying. Okay. Maybe if I make her do it enough time, she's going to be like, Rob's right. We really need to get this as an audio clip that I think you're. I think you're right. Um, So my story is located at La Zona de Silencio, the zone of silence, which is in Mexico. Uh, This place is also referred to as Mapimi Silent Zone because of its proximity to Mapimi Biosphere Reserve, uh, which more specifically is in the middle of nowhere. Oh, sweet. I know exactly (laughs) where that is. I'm really, I'm really trying (laughs) to. It's right next to the nothing. (laughs) So it's uh, past nowhere next to nothing. Turn left at nothing and keep going until you see more nothing. And then you're there. It's perfect. 
No, no, no. It's actually overlapping three states, uh, Durango, Chihuahua, and Coahuila. This... Oh, see. Got all the big ones there. For those of you that don't know, nachos came from Coahuila. So. Yeah. Not... <laughs> Was it really? Yeah, in Piedras Negras. On the not... border of the Rio Grande, uh, on the eastern edge of Coahuila. Oh, that's right. I'm starting to have flashbacks. So I've never been there, but it's on my to-do list because it's like, gotta go. Um, let's see. Where was I? Oh, yeah. The number one thing that people who visit these areas say occur to them is that they lose complete reception, hence the name, the like, silence. Like cell phones and everything? Yeah, so cell phones, radios, um, just anything that is electronic will mm. completely die or be cut off. I, I wouldn't say, like, you run out of power or anything. But... This is not like the cars or anything. Oh, right. No, no, not, so not necessarily that. Um, well, sometimes. There is a story that has kind of everything. Um, mm-hmm. But anyway, no, like in general, like if you're driving in that general area or if you go off road, if you're off into more central into the zone, it gets like more weird. And and yeah, so there's plenty of, of more to talk about that in a little bit. Other things might be like, for example, if it doesn't go silent, then you might hear like a weird chatter coming through or just some strange white noise that isn't quite normal. Like it, it feels like it's just getting a little haywire-y. Do you know what I mean? Like it doesn't sound right. Right. It just doesn't sound right. It's also recommended that if you go in this area, that you don't lose sight of your car because people have claimed that when they get off track, you know, they're kind of exploring or whatever and they have a compass the compass has in certain areas spun out of control oh. or face the wrong direction, making you believe that you're going north or, you know, whatever you're supposed to be going to. That's fucked up. Yeah, rude. Um, so here are some true events. Now, I know everything I say is true, right? But this one's like undisputably true. <laughs> this is like recorded in history kind of moments. Um, the first official recorded incident was in 1930s uh, by Francisco Sarabia. He noted that his radio stopped functioning and his instruments went crazy. He thought he was going to do an emergency landing. That's how uh, bad it was getting. Mm. But luckily, after a few moments, everything went back to normal. As soon as this did go back to normal, he reported the incident through the radio, and um, which was later you know, logged as to where it was that he sure. was experiencing this. And it turned out that it was in the heart of the zone of the silence. Mm. And of course, to give credit, because you and I were talking about this last time about credible witnesses or or reports about people and, and what they do. Absolutely. Uh, this guy was really credible. He's actually a pioneer of commercial aviation. He broke the record for speed when he flew from Mexico City to New York. Uh, so... So I think, like, he just was kind of reporting. He wasn't even mm-hmm. mentioning that he was above this area. In fact, at that time, people didn't really know about it. It's a long flight. He's obviously a professional, like, a good pilot. Yeah, he's focused. He's not like, oh, I'm above the zone of silence <laughs> or anything like that. <laughs> he may not have even known what that was. He didn't. In fact, I'm going to talk about that oh, in a second. Oh, it, it didn't even occur to him because it wasn't even something that people were talking about at the time. So this is the next event. On February 8th, 1969, the Alinde meteorite was seen entering the atmosphere at 1.05 a.m. It entered at incredible speed at 10 miles per second, and it illuminated the sky for hundreds of miles. Which, fast. Yeah, which, by the way, scientists estimated that the meteorite was, like, probably about the size of a car, oh, wow. which is massive. Right before it broke down. Obviously, it didn't land that way. Um, the Alinde meteorite is the largest and most studied meteorite in human history. 
It landed in the state of Chihuahua within the zone of silence. Mm. And uh, it's the largest carbonaceous chondrite we have found on Earth and consists of calcium aluminum rich, <laughs> calcium aluminum rich inclusions, which I know that was kind of a mouthful for me to say, but I had to mention it because that stuff is made of the oldest material formed in the solar system. Mm. So that's pretty cool. I mean, when I was reading about it, I'm like, I have to know a little bit more about it. So I actually watched two YouTube videos talking about these meteorites. Um, in between episodes of SVU. In between episodes of SVU, <laughs> when I was clearly doing my research. Um, <laughs> scientists have been collecting as much of the meteorites they have uh, for 25 years, actually. And they estimate that the total weight they have found so far is about two to five tons. I mean, that's a lot of discrepancy, but they really couldn't really say how much they have found. Mm -hmm. That's just like an estimation. Absolutely. And especially since like to this day, they're still finding fragments. This event was definitely one of the bigger events that occurred in the zone of silence that got people's attention thinking like, what's going on here? You know what I mean? Well, it's it's weird because... It would have made sense if the stories all started after the meteor hit, but you got that one beforehand. So you're like, it was yeah. already weird, and then a meteor hits, so you're like, hmm. It's just, it just gets weirder from here, trust me. A year later, on July 11th, 1970, the U.S. Air Force launched Athena test missile from the Green River Launch Complex in Utah that was set to land at White Sands Missile Range in New Mexico. Hey! Shout out! Um, however, the missile fell off course and landed in the zone of silence. <laughs> That's I mean, way off course. That is super off course. And in the zone of silence of all places. <laughs> and so <laughs> there hasn't been an explanation given by the military as to why this happened. Um and why this missile, like you said, are hundreds of miles past its destination. And so, of course, unsurprisingly, the U.S. military has been or tried to be as hush-hush about it as possible. I mean, even if it was just a coincidence and it had no supernatural or, or paranormal thing going on, I mean, that's a really big mistake. <laughs> you you literally landed a missile a big, in another country. In another country. Yeah, they had to, like, go through all these things like, uh, hey, other country, I'm sorry, but our fucking missile landed in in this dead space that you guys are already like suspicious about so can we go there and retrieve it and that's actually exactly what they did <laughs> no world war three bro yeah <laughs> jk jk um yeah so they did go recover the debris a huge team was sent out they actually definitely had to retrieve not just the debris because they made a big mess about it but it did contain two small containers of Cobalt-57, which is a radioactive element. It took the search team about a month to recover everything. Locals said that the Americans set up temporary labs, uh, medical facilities, and places for people to sleep. So it was like a night and day thing. They were trying to get everything out as quickly as possible. But yeah, because of this, this is probably arguably the biggest event that occurred that got people's attention. I mean, I think the meteorite was probably a more spectacular Absolutely. situation, but this uh, got people curious and a little weirded out and definitely stemmed a lot of conspiracies out mm-hmm. of there. So thanks, military. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there are some personal accounts I managed to find. Nice. Yeah, there's an article I read by T.E. Wilson that he wrote in 2016 
where he goes and visits a man who lives uh, nearby the zone of silence. His name is Benjamin Palacios. He grew up in a town nearby as well, so he's been there for a long time. And he owns his own UFO-themed ranch on the edge of the zone of silence. So during their trip, Palacio would occasionally veer off the road to certain spots to prove to Wilson that they will completely lose reception. So he's trying to make a point and show him him a good time, too. You know, he's writing an article (laughs) about him. And lo and behold, Wilson was kind of shocked of how it worked because he they would go to a certain area and all their devices would be no signal whatsoever radios too do you know what i'm saying like they were getting just local radio stations as well and so um he was kind of confused because sometimes you know you, you and i have been to road trips before and when we start losing radio signals there's still some static there's still something you there see, you usually hear it slowly fade unless you go behind like a big mountain yeah it's like gradual well yeah. there aren't any large obstruction within the zone i think it's in a valley of other mountains which i guess could be contributing to the signal loss but for but all of them to stop at once is a little weird unless exactly. everything's coming from like a single tower in a single location which doesn't seem likely yeah and so that's kind of what i'm saying and it's and then wilson too in this article he was writing it just was weird it felt weird and when you step outside in these areas they really do feel like you're really in silence as well so it's kind of a physical and uh, electronical thing. Like maybe no birds or something like that? Yeah, I don't know about that. We we had one of those moments when we went to uh, Chaco Canyon, didn't we? Yeah, we did. That's in that a, was cool. Uh, that's in a valley. And when we went hiking there, it was eerily silent. We definitely have to do another. I have to do a story about that, I think. Um, yeah, we need it's such to a visit good, again. It's a really cool place. Oh, hell yeah, we'll go. Um, so yes, Wilson was like... What the F? (laughs) And that was kind of his experience. He didn't have anything else. Like, he didn't see anything. Here we go. Some people also believe that the signal disturbance is caused by subterranean deposits and magnetite and debris from meteorites Mm -hmm. that are still in the area. Mm -hmm. So they think it's like an accumulation of reasons versus one giant conspiracy. Um, There have also been studies that show a higher level of magnetic energy that cannot be explained. This isn't actually very uncommon uh, because there have been recordings of Earth's magnetic field does vary a few degrees in different parts of the surface. Okay. So this does just happen. Yeah. Um, but there are arguments and people claim to say that it just happens to happen more at the zone of silence. Well, we did have the previous thing uh, when you told the story about how the compass goes crazy. Yeah. That's pretty strong interference. Exactly. So... What's going on? <laughs> uh, the high magnetic fields have also been used to explain why a relatively high number of meteorites have fallen in the area. So they actually think that these things are being pulled in some sort of vortex. That's a really strong force. It's getting crazy. Yeah, that <laughs> one's... I'm going to file that under the probably not bub. Exactly. Um, now, I mentioned the 1969 meteorite, the one that that's really big. And then there was two other ones that happened not too long before. There was one in 1938 and another one in 1954. And those two meteorites crashed in the same spot, which is kind of weird. Right? That's weird, right? That's really weird. Okay. I'm not, I don't know (laughs) a lot about space debris. So 
You should keep going. There's a lot I have I have I have to think about with that, and I have thoughts. But you just keep going. Yeah, because I... don't they have like a somewhat of a trajectory, and they're being pulled. They could be pulled somewhat if they're passing like planets. I think right, like it could yeah. change. But um, that's if you're passing by. I, I don't know. Again, here we go. So I'm going to talk about like where the zone of silence name came from, like who who discovered it or whatever. Um, In 1960s, an engineer by the name of Harry Agosto de la Peña was hired by an oil company to explore the area. He quickly became aware that there were random areas that he would lose signal. So I'd say he might be one of the first that was really clocking this information. Sure. And uh, comparing it at the time. Yeah. So, like, while him and his team would be surveying and attempting to contact each other through radio or walkie-talkies, they'd find that they couldn't. And that was weird because they couldn't even get literally anything out of it. And that wouldn't even have to do with radio towers being blocked by a mountain. This is a localized transmission. Exactly. So now now we're getting crazier. Uh, Aside from being frustrated, Peña was actually really, really fascinated about the whole thing. He even attempted to map out where the dead zones occurred, but he couldn't uh, because I guess, according to him, it would change locations over a period of time. Mm. Isn't that... Okay, that's weird too, right? It's very weird. (laughs) I feel like I... As I was reading this... Yeah. Yeah, as I was reading this, I'm like, I'm not sure if this is normal in some (laughs) areas or not, and I don't have time to research magnetic fields on earth right now right so (laughs) it just sounds weird you're you're not giving me things that don't sound weird right now i'm just kind of just accepting all the weird (laughs) welcome to my world i just have to accept that this is strange Mm -hmm. um well in 1975 there was an increased interest by the historical study study society of chihuahua who held seminars and conferences with the intent of developing a research program they ended up sending 30 investigators or researchers, uh, which included biologists, geologists, and zoologists. They were able to conclude from Geiger counters and other types of reading that there was, in fact, a high concentration of radiation and other wavelengths. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I don't know where the other scientists fit in, but I guess they tried to really investigate everything, uh, just kind of get a good encompassed analysis of the environment and that was one of the biggest discrepancies that they were finding continuing that that same year two engineers ray cruz and jorge aguilar who went out there to collect information regarding these strange wavelength patterns so they were professionals in this area this is a quote because i like i said (laughs) i don't understand a lot of this but here we go quote their studies were focused on Hertzian waves and showed that the horizontal propagation of radio waves was normal, but the vertical was cut off completely, thus causing the phenomenon of silence. These scientists concluded that this anomaly was not function of position, but of time. Tell me that makes sense to you. Um, up until the end. <laughs> <laughs> It got too smart for us. I was like, wait, what? I'm hoping someone out there isn't like, Lily, you're losing me. But a lot of this is kind of, um, has been studied and it was hard for me to digest and kind of like understand it so I can tell it to you guys. This is as as simple I was able to get it, if that makes sense. All right. Yeah, sorry. And even I'm still a little confused. But let's move on to more weird stuff. <laughs> Aside from failed electronics... Uh, People say when they get there um, in certain areas that would be considered dead zones, 
they have strange tingling sensations. I mentioned that before, didn't I? Sounds yeah. Well, I, I mentioned it before Tom DeLonge in the other episode. That I was like, that's not so familiar. <laughs> Like, when did but he say this before? Yeah, he's near Area 51. He's like, yo, tingles, bro. Yeah, so they, you can get the tingles here, too. The Peter tingles. <laughs> the Peter tingles. Except instead of, like, cool radioactive spider, you're just getting radioactive. <laughs> you're probably getting, like, cancer slowly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So not as cool. Um, there have also been events where tourists have lost time. Not like they lost unconsciousness or ended up somewhere random. Like they would be out there for what they thought a couple of hours and then realize it was much, much longer or much, much shorter. Mm. So maybe some people were having a really good time. Some people weren't having a good time. Yeah. <laughs> this sucks. Can we go? It's We've all relative. Hours, bro. <laughs> the vegetation animals have been reported to have strange characteristics. Certain cacti have turned purple or a deep color red that would otherwise be green. And uh, they've also had odd growth patterns. Mm, I wonder what the tequila would taste like. Mm, Radioactive. <laughs> Spicy. <laughs> Why does it taste all like muted? <laughs> Mutated. Yeah. Oh, gross. So tortoises have been also spotted to have odd triangular shaped shells. That one's a weird one. That's really weird. I'm like, poor radioactive tortoise. <laughs> Reports of unnaturally large coyotes and lizards have been seen by many locals. I'm like skinwalkers, but whatever. Uh, there have been reports from locals and tourists of encountering tall, white, blonde people when they're in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> <laughs> that one made me laugh. It, it could totally be tourists, don't you think? I mean, you would think, but... Maybe not, because they say that oftentimes, whenever these reports have been, like, reported or whatever, it's usually two men and one woman, and they're always dressed really weird. Either it's inappropriate for uh, being out in the desert, like, just does not fit into why you would wear something like that, or the styles of clothing are extreme. I don't know why, I'm just picturing, like, guys wearing, like... You know, like mascot outfits for like baseball games. Okay. <laughs> so that's like that's really inappropriate for I out think, here, bro. I think I just pictured like someone wearing a fur coat, and you're like, <laughs> you're in a desert. Like, what are you doing? And like heels. I that's what I'm picturing, and I think that's maybe what they're referring to. I just wish they were more specific because I'm like, are they wearing too little? Are they wearing too much? Is it just <laughs> weird? I mean, are they wearing like gas station employee outfits or something? Yeah. Or? So they just said like they there's something off about them too. So okay. I think it's this whole situation that really bothers them um they always speak perfect spanish that's cool yeah so i guess that's nice and for whatever reason they're always asking for water there is a story or rather a personal experience where there's a a ranch in the nearby area who encountered these people a few times He says that they seemed always really nice and sometimes charismatic, like they were just very kind of pleasant to have around in theory, but even he said it was just weird. weird. Yeah, there was something (laughs) weird. Um, And they always asked for water, so that was consistent as well. One day, uh, there was a guy who also worked on the ranch that saw them uh, just appear kind of out of nowhere. He was kind of working, and then he turns around, and they're walking his way. And he's like, oh, uh, where did you come from? And the answer they gave him, from above. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, like, when you said people were showing up, I was I was thinking, like, oh, people go hiking through the zone of silence. And they just run into some tall blonde people. I'm like, 
yeah, they're just running other people, but these guys, these strange people are showing up on, like, ranches nearby regularly. Asking for water and just hanging out That's for moments. Yeah. From above, huh? Yeah, so uh, the guy goes on and says that he didn't know what else to say and just gave him their water and watched them walk away. Like, he's like, I'm done talking to you. So are you thinking that it's either aliens who think that, like, tall, bleach blonde <laughs> hair is, like, the pinnacle? Or are they, like, from the future... And we just know that tall blonde is back in fashion at some point in the yeah, future. Yeah, they're like, this is what we all look like. <laughs> the valley girl. The valley girl look. <laughs> the surfer and valley girl. Like, totally have some water. <laughs> I'm like hella parched. <laughs> oh, man, you're making but, this really scary. <laughs> but, I have to, but I have to do it in Espanol. In Espanol. Oh, yeah. How would you do it, Chase? I don't know what valley girl sounds like in Espanol, but I, I can tell you right now, that's something I really want to know. <laughs> Maybe we can Google it later. Wait, um, we just need to watch a Spanish dub of Clueless. I, that never occurred to me. We <laughs> we'll need to do totally it. <laughs> do it. <laughs> it's going to be so lame. Okay. Um, let's see here. Where was I? Oh, yes. There is a very specific event. On October 13th, 1975, Ernesto and Josefina Diaz went out to the zone of silence to collect rocks and fossils because it's kind of a... Very fascinating area, geologically speaking. So that's just where a lot of people go if, sure. they're, if they're studying that too. I mean, it's not just because they're into the weird or whatever. They're, there is some cool scientific stuff out there. Anyway, after spending hours out there, they didn't realize that there was a big storm coming in and uh, they were completely caught off guard. So they quickly collected their things, got in their car and sped towards the main road. But unfortunately, they weren't fast enough and found themselves stuck in the mud. After a few moments, the couple saw two figures approaching their vehicle. Mm. The couple described them as being tall, white men who wore matching yellow raincoats and matching hats. So that is weird. <laughs> yeah. Now we now I have a story. I'm like, all right. This is a more like yes yeah, specific situation. Um, not knowing what else to do, Ernesto and Josefina spoke to the two men after they got close enough. And uh, they actually told the couple to stay in the car while they worked on them getting out. So they were going to help them, but didn't want their help. Weird. Yeah. So (laughs) very weird. Only after a few seconds later, the car became unstuck and Ernesto got out. Like, you know what I mean? Like he kind of got unstuck, drove a little ways, paused because he wanted to say thank you, but he couldn't see him anywhere. Like they were gone. Interesting. So he's like, uh, what the hell? It's still raining. So he's like, well, I got to get out of here. So he does. He does. They both make it out. Everything's fine. But the whole experience was to them just weird. <laughs> these are these uh, these tall white guy sightings are actually getting really creepy to me. I uh, it's know. not weird. It's creepy. It's super creepy. What are they doing out there? So this is a wild theory. I might be able to tell you what they're doing out there. But I couldn't come up with a better explanation because I couldn't find one. These are two of the big ones that people think. And is this when you trespass into my territory? A little bit. So in UFO lore, these beings are often referred to as the Nordics. Oh, I know all about the Nordics. You do not, really? Yes, I do. Okay, you have not talked about that yet. Yes, allegedly the first real occurrence with them was in like the late 40s, early 50s with the president at uh, an airfield. <laughs> yes, and there's there's like three races that are talked to regularly. The Nordics are supposed to be 
I always I never picture them having hair though. When every description I said they were supposed to be tall and pale with blue eyes, but they're so the they, Nordics. Yeah, oftentimes they do have blue eyes, or I think every and human, time. very human. Yeah, just really tall mm-hmm. is all and slender. But I was able to condense that information for you, or for everyone else. So, like I said, they are referred to as the Nordics, and they are a product of enlightened beings that had once been abducted by aliens, then returned to significant areas of Earth. I don't know why. I didn't look into it, but that seems kind of wild already. So here's theory number two. (laughs) This is my favorite one. There's a Mexican paranormal research group called El Centro de Investigación de Antropología Cósmica de la Escuela Filosofía Le Men. Man, is it really awesome that I actually knew exactly what all those words meant? (laughs) Yes. Translation, uh, the Research Center of Cosmic Anthropology of the Lumen School of Philosophy. They believe that the Nordics, quote unquote, might actually be part of a lost civilization called Tulum Balam, who inhabited the area below Mapimi Biosphere Reserve. So it's underneath it. Uh, They are actually called the Yellow Mayan people. And, (laughs) sorry, and the mountains that surround the reserve are actual ancient ruins that were once pyramids, not actually mountains. And they just, they're just chilling out there still. Well, I mean, it sounds like they have a whole lot of evidence for this. <laughs> yes, they have. There's the... no way this is just wild conjecture. No, no, no. This is a, uh, this is from a school of philosophy. And so I think it could you, be true. You can put the word <laughs> school in anything if you want to. It doesn't make it smart. Or a research center. What was it called again? I don't know. Anyway. <laughs> it that's... was like the research of anthropology and <laughs> philosophy and space. Yes, um, those are the theories as to what these white people are doing in Mexico. Who knows what they are? So, so just <laughs> just as a heads up for for anyone out there listening, and for you, Lily, since you've now dabbled into the Nordics, I will make an effort to do a story on yeah, Nordics for you. That's as far as I got. I I read a little bit. I'm like, you know, I gotta mention it because this is a common occurrence that for whatever reason, happens at the Zone of Silence, and I felt mm-hmm. like I needed to provide that information. Well, I, didn't, I did not think that they were going to go dabbling into saying... So the the Nordic thing is kind of one of those recurring conspiracy theories things, kind of like Men in Black and... Uh, the Black children. Eyed, There's those children. Black-eyed kids. Yeah, um, except I actually put a lot more credit into things like the Men in Black, whereas this one seems... Really crazy sci-fi, but but I'll do a story on it for you. So hey, there are there are real people out there who says who've seen them. And I so, believe they're seeing um, people. Yeah, <laughs> just wondering if there's just like a crazy tour bus. You know, just like <laughs> some like, Oslo. It's just like a nerdy anthropology team who are like out there. Like we really need water. We should keep. <laughs> Why do we keep running out of water? <laughs> oh my god, those poor guys. Okay. Damn it, Sven. Uh, they're like, they're wearing really weird clothes. I've had this for 10 years. It's out of style. It says stuntman on it. It's cool. <laughs> stuntman. Oh, my God. But their Spanish is good. That's the weird part. Yeah, well, they're nerds, so they're just going to really Oh, try. yeah, they, they studied, like, super formal academic Spanish. Exactly. It's like, it's perfect Spanish. <laughs> I'm liking this theory <laughs> that it's, like, nerdy tourist anthropologists who just keep... <laughs> Don't know how to live in a desert. Yeah. This is great. That are from like Switzerland. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, that's what I'm going to say. Anyway, so here is a very popular and just like uh, one of the bigger personal stories that I've come across multiple times when I'm reading about this area. 
this story is of Hector Alvarez. Alvarez worked at graveyard shifts as a researcher at the Mapimi Biosphere Reserve back in 2013. Typically, Alvarez would provide reports on a regular basis to his superiors, you know, basically just logging in the stuff he did that day and just to make sure that everything was normal. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Uh, not long after, however, Alvarez started reporting strange lights that he would see in the sky during his shifts. Mm-hmm. Initially, he tried to provide evidence because, like, you know, when you have these reports, you're supposed to give, like, some sort of data. It's like, oh, well... Where does this occur? Like, usually it's science kind of stuff. So Absolutely. the information would have been there. So when he started seeing these lights and put them in the reports without evidence, his superiors were like, don't, <laughs> don't do that. Stop wasting your time. <laughs> yeah. yeah, okay. Unless you have, like, a picture or a video. But he tried. Alvarez said that he would try taking photos or video, but the equipment would always fail. I mean, that would make sense because here we are in this uh, zone of silence that seems to be the thing. But because he was still determined... Although maybe not provide that information to his superiors, he did keep a personal journal and recorded everything that he encountered. Um, And here are some of the strange findings that he had. There were what he thought strange wind and atmospheric pressure patterns that were recorded by the station's weather center. These readings would indicate extreme weather, like, like crazy winds or heavy thunderstorms. But when he would go outside or drive to the areas that these, you know, weather changes were occurring, uh, they weren't. It was actually very still, just a normal night. So he had no idea how to approach this because when whenever he'd go out there, like he also was experiencing the same kind of dead reception space as well. So who knows? Could be related. He would also say that he started seeing weird triangular shapes at night floating in the air. He would say that the outline of the triangle contained a fiery red quality and inside were bands of shifting colors. He claimed that he couldn't determine the size of the object because he couldn't tell how far away they were. So it looked very weird, Mm. you know. One night while he was in the lab, all the computer speakers turned on at the same time and transmitted a jumbled white noise for a few moments when all of a sudden they just shut off. Olivetis was not able to turn on the computers back on, so he obviously reported it. That he did put in the report, and that stayed true. And the following day, a technician came out to investigate and try to fix the computers, and he discovered that the hard drives and motherboards were melted. Wow. So it was like a... Power surge. Surge of electricity, but it didn't melt the whole computer. Well, but to melt that stuff, man, there's a lot of safety features that we build into our devices. You would think, especially a facility. They would have all had to have failed, so that's weird. Like if, it, if they actually had melted, something really bizarre happened. Exactly, and I think that's Maybe what... Hector just, like, threw Molotov cocktails in them, <laughs> and he's just like, they'll sh- show them for not believing me. I think that would burn the facility, not just the motherboards. Oh, no, if it's inside a computer, it'll just melt everything in there and burn away. Yeah, maybe he got really upset. But like... then there'd be a lot of broken glass. <laughs> You don't know how to destroy a computer, do you? It's not a perfect theory. (laughs) It's got some holes. It's got a little bit of, yeah, loopholes here. Um, No, no, no. So on March 15th, 2013, it was reported that Alvarez had inexplicably left his post that night and was never seen again. He left behind his journal and his car, which was still parked at the research center. Whoa. So he's still gone? He's still gone. This, did you see this on Unsolved Mysteries or something? No, this one I read, and this one was like a really popular story that I oh. read in multiple articles. 
Uh, I wouldn't say I found it on a show or anything. I didn't I didn't see that come across. Man, I hope he's okay. Yeah, who knows? It's like the cartels. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's it's a sad reality to think that is a very possible. I mean, thing if he's out there, but like, what would he have come across that they would have cared? I don't them know. Them burying a body in the zone of silence. Yeah, but they don't really bury bodies, do they? They don't really care. They kind of just throw them out there. Oh no, they have like giant body pits that they have oh. where they dump. I just see all the stories where they like hang beheaded people off of like highway overpasses. And but I like... think that's those are just to prove a point. I think oh. if it's like. You know, let's say you were trafficking a bunch of women, and then you didn't want them anymore. Wow, that got morbid. I look, I'm just, <laughs> these are true stories. Yeah, um, no, you're right. That's yeah. sad stuff. We're not a true crime podcast. We oh, must yeah. stay Sorry. away. Sorry. <laughs> I didn't mean to depress. Sorry. I, I, I dipped into true crime again. Sorry about that. Poor Hector. But those are, like, the more popular stories. Like I said, uh, the biggest one is losing reception and just having weird anomalies. Seeing lights in the sky is very common as well. Uh, yeah, just overall uneasiness and, uh, creepy creepiness. So if we ever end up on that road trip through Mexico, (laughs) I know where I want to (laughs) stop. The only problem is I think if we go, what I want to do, I'm not tall, but I could put on a wig (laughs) and I want to walk up to some local and just be like, you're going to get shot. Do you guys have any water? (laughs) They'd be like, yeah, so most of the time it's usually these tall, blonde, blue-eyed guys, but then this, like, fat, short guy <laughs> with no crappy wig ass for water. I don't know if it's related or not. But I gave him water. <laughs> and nachos, he asked. Yeah. Really Dude, weird. Americans. His Spanish was also not immaculate. <laughs> it was pretty awful. Actually, he was just speaking English, so. Oh, my God. Yeah, so you would be the worst Nordic, uh, for sure. But I'm still totally willing to go. I'm willing to go. Yeah, I think I think it'd be pretty cool to see uh, just all that stuff. I mean, it, it is kind of just a vast desert. There isn't a whole lot of visual stimulation, to be honest. But I think there is uh, tour guides that are provided. Um, like I said, there was that one guy who mm-hmm. has his museum. But I believe, I, I don't know if he still is now, especially with the whole pandemic thing that might have been pulled on hold. But there were people that would take... Uh, groups out there and stay over the night, do some research, sightseeing, you know, watching the stars, telling stories. So it kind of does provide some sort of entertainment and of um, all that good stuff. So who knows? Maybe we can do something like that one day. It sounds like my cup of tea. We're from we're from the Southwest. Big, wide open deserts are, we know that. We, yeah. We're good with that. We're okay with that. Um, rehydrate. <laughs> <laughs> we won't be asking no one for water. <laughs> No, it's only beer for us and death, <laughs> apparently. <laughs> Did you guys need water? No, I got my 12-pack right here. <laughs> I ain't no Nordic. <laughs> and if I get real thirsty, I got me my gin. <laughs> it's clear. <laughs> That's for emergency hydration only. Yeah, yeah, get it together. Oh, my God. So I hope you like it. I'm sorry I dipped into your world there. But... No, no, I'm cool with it. That's awesome. I loved it. Uh, I want to go. Yay. It sounds like a lot of fun. What do you think was the scariest thing for you? The regularity of occurrences of tall, blonde, strange people walking up as far. Like, if they just saw the people, that's one thing. But the fact that they're always asking for water. They're asking for water. And from what I understand, they're very interactive, too. Yeah. All the... Yeah. I think the other thing that really weirded me out was multiple meteor impacts. Mm Mm-hmm. So I was thinking about that. And some of my ideas are... 
you know how we can predict certain meteor showers that happen every year because we know the Earth is going to be passing through an area with a lot of mm-hmm. meteor activity. So, you know, what if we're constantly passing through an area with large meteorites and so the chances of them coming in kind of make like in, in the same area kind of makes sense, except the Earth is also rotating. And so that's why usually every year when you want to see like one of the meteor showers, you have to they, they give you predictions for what days mm-hmm. and what states you can see in the best because it kind of changes because yeah. depending on how the earth is rotated as it passes through the field you see it like either areas. it's in the day and you're like you're not going to see it exactly. or whatever yeah so for multiple massive meteors to be hitting in such a small area every time that's weird i mean in the in the grand scheme of the planet yeah, yeah. it is because but, it's this yeah. space is i think i it's it's hard to calculate i've seen different numbers but i just estimated about 1500 square miles is this area so i mean it's it's big but it's not that big exactly it's it's big but it's not like the biggest area or anything i don't have any data but it'd be something i'd look into saying do we see a lot of meteor impacts along this like latitude Mm -hmm. so maybe if you see them all around that oh area, then maybe i'm like oh it's just a lot of them are going to occur there but they happen all around that latitude but you know i was thinking that if there have been arguments like the skeptics say well meteors land everywhere but i think uh what they were trying to say here is that two actually landed in the same like spot. And a lot of weird stuff's already happening. And our, yeah, and so I think it's just an accumulation of what the fuck kind of thing. So mm. uh yeah, I think it's I think it's weird. I think it's definitely something that if most, if not a lot of the stories I told you are actually recorded true events, like the missile also like just completely <laughs> i'd already forgotten about <laughs> the stupid missile that's what the u.s military wants you to do don't forget it's like when you're shooting a nerf gun and like three of the bullets all go in the right place but then the fourth one just shoots like a meter off to the side you're like how did that it like goes out the window and you're like okay what happened here and we're so lazy we're like ah we've lost that arrow <laughs> not gonna get that no actually uh, yeah this was a pretty large missile so they definitely had a um retrieve that material because it's just out there now um i don't know i i when i was reading a lot of these i felt like a lot of it obviously is true and there were a lot more personal accounts than i anticipated than just like your your generic like a lot of people experience this or that i mean there were like events that people report and say hey this just happened to me or whatever Um, i i would say that although i maybe don't give much credit to the theories i'd say almost everything you told me happened i believe happened mm-hmm. almost exactly like they said it maybe like the 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 blonde guys saying they came from above that story might not have happened he might have like misunderstood or yeah you know who knows embellished yeah but uh for the most part they all sound like weird things or maybe he was just trolling them he's like what do you think i came from or you know what i mean like saying, <laughs> i'm from above what do you think <laughs> maybe that was like super racist he's <laughs> like i'm above you <laughs> <laughs> Like he's maybe they were just assholes maybe who wanted water. Maybe they meant north. Like I oh. actually am from the north. Who knows? And they are literal Nordics. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. It's all coming together. There's lots to digest here. <laughs> On that note, let's yeah. take a quick break. Come back and because uh, I got a story. And don't worry, you ventured into my alien stuff this month. And my story has nothing to do, well, mostly nothing to do with aliens. <laughs> so if people were looking for something not alien really, don't worry, it's coming. Woo. So right, we'll take a quick break and we'll see you guys in a few. All right, we're back, guys. And I got a story for you, and it's not an end of episode encounter. Nope, nope. <laughs> Today we have a tropical terror. 
looking at you, Vivi, because you told me that you liked these more. So <laughs> uh, I figured I'd do do a few. Nice. So anyway, today I want to talk about Chris Columbus. Chris, and I can Chris I, Columbus. Christopher Columbus. <laughs> Sorry, not a lot of people refer to him as Chris. I can so only casual. <laughs> so I'm just assuming that most of you, when I say that name, are thinking about the acclaimed director of the Home Alone movies, <laughs> Mrs. Doubtfire, Adventures in Babysitting, the first two Harry Potter movies. No, no, of I'm not, not talking about that, Chris Columbus. <laughs> of course not. <laughs> I mean, I thought for a second, but no. I'm going to talk about the much lesser known one, the uh, Italian explorer who sailed for the Spanish crown. Sure. The one who allegedly discovered America. He he didn't discover anything, but like (laughs) history likes to tell elementary school students that he discovered America. For sure. Anyway, at the very least, he did bring the first, everyone knows, he did bring the first European contact to Central South America, all that stuff. Oh, I thought you were going to say plagues. (laughs) Well, I mean, that's one of the kinds of contact he brought, I guess. He really brought it. For sure. Yeah. So I normally wouldn't talk about such a prolific historic moment on our Supernatural Horror Podcast show. Mm -hmm. But I think this one's interesting because there's a little piece of history that I had never heard before until I read about this. And just kind of shows that usually history, there's so much going on in history, we have to cherry pick the information just just to make it easy to digest. It's not because we're trying to avoid stuff. It's just, is it that important? Right. So for our podcast, this is important (laughs) because, you see, something weird happened on the famous 1492 voyage. An article from 1990 written by a J. Marvel. I assume it's pronounced Marvel like the comics instead of like Marvel or something. But he delved deep, and I assume it's a guy too, so I apologize. Maybe it's a girl. So we'll just say they. J. Marvel delved deep into this bizarre event. Mm Mm-hmm. It looked at multiple historical documents from the 16th century, including multiple histories of the discovery. In particular, he analyzed the history of Don Fernando, who was Columbus's second Mm -hmm. son, and even court documents from the lawsuit between Columbus's heirs and the crown of Spain. All of them seem to mention something interesting, but the science and calculations of modern times make this event far more interesting than any of the paperwork said at the time. This occurred on October 11th, 1492, the night before their famous landfall in the New World. Mm -hmm. At around midnight, several of the crew, Columbus included, saw a light in the distance. Ooh. The accounts of all the crew who saw it are as similar to each other as they are different. Some describe it as a flickering, like a candle, with flashes and changes in intensity. Yet they also mentioned the light would disappear for periods of time and then come back. But the most interesting thing several crew noticed was that the light appeared to ascend upwards. Oh, geez. Now, one account mentioned very specifically that it only ascended. But another account mentioned that it ascended and descended again and again. Oh, okay. They all agree, though, that the light was intermittent and eventually it was gone. It did not stay. This was around like midnight-ish, if I didn't say that already. Okay. One of the reasons the light was so well documented was that sailors at the time were often rewarded if they were the first to spot land. Seeing light is often a strong, powerful indicator that land is near, even at night. Mm -hmm. This is why so many documents included stories and quotes from crewmates and their direct family about this event. People wanted the money. You know, oh, so like a good reward, not like, oh, good job. Yeah, uh, Columbus, you know, this is what some of the lawsuits are about. 
he was granted um, money every year for his, the rest of his life for finding land. Holy cow. Okay. This is good money. People wanted this. There was a huge reward. Now I see the drive into yeah. quote unquote discovering stuff. Exactly. <laughs> oh, it was always about money and titles. Yeah. Columbus was not a famous person. I think he was, um, I think he lived at a church and he was practicing in the in the church and he wanted money and fame and I think he was an amateur cartoon. I, you know, I don't know too much. <laughs> I don't know. I'm just trying to remember all the stuff I learned in college and that was way too long ago. Anyway. Now, it seems obvious that since they actually did make landfall the next day, that they had spotted something on land and they saw a light. You're like, yeah, that's probably what they saw. The problem is that modern researchers debate what actually did happen because things get rather odd when they start to do the math. (laughs) See, had they truly believed they found and spotted land, they would have changed course and moved towards it. But they didn't do that. They didn't, they didn't change course at all. They didn't change course until the day when they spotted land. Uh, and they were moving the whole time, by the way. You right, know, right, right. Speed. So, um, so since they weren't heading towards the light, they spotted the light off to the side. And they even said in some of the documents I looked at, the translations in English, they said that's probably land. But they didn't turn to it. One of the diarios, which I assume is diary in Spanish, right? Diarios? Yeah. Yeah. Diarios. Uh, that was researched in this paper, referred to it as a, quote, so occluded a thing, unquote, that it didn't warrant enough evidence of land and that they wouldn't change course. So that means that even they saw it and suggested they might have seen land. They weren't even sure because it seemed so bizarre and weird. I think they were, if it's as, like, strange as what it sounds like to me, it's something they've probably never seen before. And uh, who knows? Maybe they were like, it could be a trick. You know, they probably were very superstitious at the time as well. And... And for all I know, they're like, that's probably just a bad omen. And, and Exactly. And a lot of people are saying, well, if they thought it was land, I don't think they did think it was land. I think all the court documents and the and all the diaries and histories of it later, people saying land is because they were so desperate for getting a reward for land because they did actually find landfall the next day that uh, it's so easy to say, yeah, I spotted the land. But it was me who did that. Yeah, yeah. when they probably all saw a light and they're like, the fuck? <laughs> so... Credible research done by the Geographical Journal dated May 1927 calculated that the three ships were still at least 38 nautical miles from land when this mysterious light was witnessed, Mm. judging by when they made landfall. I mean, the boats just didn't stop moving or anything. Um, That's quite the distance to spot a light. Okay. 38 nautical miles is really far away. Okay, I'm not gonna lie. I don't know what a nautical mile is. It's close to a normal mile. Oh, damn it! <laughs> I don't remember. I don't remember the specific. I think it's slightly more. Hold oh, okay. on, that's actually a really good question. Well, then why not call it a mile? Or is it just to to say that it's in the sea? I, I think there is Identify. a difference, though. Oh. So let me just look this up real quick to make sure, because we should know this. Okay, so a nautical mile is just over a normal mile. It oh, looks okay. like, according to the, uh, the internet, at 1.151 miles. Okay, so that's super minute. I mean... Yeah, 1,852 meters. But anyway, so that's pretty far. Okay. Yeah, and, and these calculations were made uh, based on the reported speed of the boats, the weather of the boats, everything that, that was written about in the logs that mm-hmm. Columbus and everything were keeping at the time. So they're like, we can make a pretty good prediction of how long it took them to actually reach the land and everything like that. Okay. So before we keep going on, one another thing that makes this a very interesting story is, and this is something we don't tell kids, we don't actually know where Columbus landed. 
Mm-hmm. We have predictions. We have ideas. But we don't know because he didn't, like, leave traces and land masses there because after he landed there, he sailed on to other islands. Yeah. What we do know for sure is it was an island in the Bahamas area and that the island was described as being bean-shaped. There are drawings that were taken. There was water within the island, too, and it wasn't that big of an island. The, we also know that the locals called the island Guanahani. Okay. But Columbus being, you know... The machismo guy he is, renames it when he lands, even though there's people (laughs) already there that named it. He named it San Salvador. Yeah. Well, we had lost all record of specifically where this island was. I mean, navigation that they wrote down weren't very accurate at the time. So we have predictions, and one of the biggest predictions is that there's this island called Watlings Island, which is where a lot of people think he landed. Watlings Island changed their name in 1925 to San Salvador, I'm assuming, because they're like, yay. Uh, Okay. Now, there are some academics who debate this, and they have other islands in the area, they think, but a lot of people assume this is the island that he landed on. Okay. This is pretty interesting, though, because um, we, we need to look at this island when we're doing the calculations on where the boats were, and they saw the lights, what could they have seen? Like, just to find out. Okay. So what are the explanations for this mysterious light that the these people saw? So one of the obvious ones is, well, fires on the island, which is what most people were originally assuming they saw. That's how you see people on land. So was it fires on the beach or near the shore? Well, the curvature of the earth, it makes this problematic because... The curvature of the Earth is about eight inches per mile, Mm -hmm. which means over 38 nautical miles. That means over 25 feet of elevation would be obstructed. So you couldn't see the beach. You could only see 25 feet above the beach. Yeah. And so that means you wouldn't see fires on the beach. Like unless there was like a tall palm tree or something, but that wouldn't even... And there aren't on this island. Oh, okay. Well... (laughs) Unless unless it's... uh, its vegetation has changed that much. And it might have. Um, all the pictures I've seen of it, it's not this like super tropical, dense, it's not oh, a forest. Or okay, like that. sure. I, I, I don't know. So you wouldn't see things directly on the shore or on the beach. Mm-hmm. Maybe things further inland because, you know, islands, elevation does go up. At least, I mean, 25 feet's not an unreasonable amount to assume for that. In 1959, Ruth Derlacher Wolper published findings through the Smithsonian Institute about a study she did. She exhaustively calculated exact moon positioning and weather to try to simulate the exact scenario detailed in the historical record. She went out on the night off the shore of Watlings Island and she had people start fires on High K, which is, if I'm not mistaken for what I researched, the highest point on the island, which is at 114 feet. She did indeed spot a fire, noting that the mist of salt spray may have made the light reflect in such a way to make it more visible to her at this distance. But one problem is she was only 29 nautical miles away, not 38, Mm. which is nine miles closer, which is not an insignificant distance when you're talking about seeing a fire. I mean, nine miles is a long ways to spot a fire. Oh, yeah. And that's nine miles closer she was than her. So this is already a big problem. That's a six-foot elevation difference. So instead of it having to be 25 feet, it could only be 19 feet. Mm -hmm. So another issue was that the nature of this light was different. It was not intermittent. It did not disappear and come back. 
and it did not give any indication of rising or falling, which I would assume would have been like an artifact of this sea mist she talked about reflecting. Like she oh, should have seen right. something that said, yes, this is what this is what the fire would look like at this distance and this perfect moonlight in this perfect time. But it didn't do anything like mm-hmm. that. Without having access to the article myself, I'm reading this guy's paper where he read and dissected the article. It is also hard to determine if the fire she had created was a massive bonfire just to ensure that she could see it, or if it was much smaller fires like a torch that would have been more reasonable to expect the natives to have had at the time. Like, why would natives have a giant bonfire going at midnight? It doesn't know. make much sense. Like, maybe they we had We do one. when we're drunk. Oh, yeah, that's possible. <laughs> but I think the idea is to assume that maybe one of them was walking around with a torch, sure, but a giant bonfire, it changes how well you can see something from a distance. So I didn't know if they just had a normal fire where you're like, this is probably the kind of fire maybe that Maybe they were setting off, like, fire lanterns. See, these these are really good I don't possibilities. Know. I don't know when that came into human history, to but, be honest. But. But, but, I mean, I don't have any information on the culture of the people who lived there at the time. Yeah. What kind of fires they would have, where they would have fires. Would they be up at midnight? Who knows? So, <laughs> so furthermore, when she conducted the experiment, there was a lighthouse on the island. Despite this, she didn't spot the lighthouse until much later at night when she was further north in the water. The lighthouse is rated at 400,000 candle power. Okay. <laughs> That's how it was that when it was put up. This is before they were doing lumens and stuff like that. Okay, sure. And had a height of 170 feet. That's way higher than the fire she had and way, way brighter. Yeah. And she still couldn't see it for so long during her journey, which says something. Because, you know, something that bright and that high up, she couldn't see. But then she could see this fire. There's, there's a lot of confusing things about her trying to recreate the yeah. scenario that makes it bizarre. So that's one explanation that seems problematic. Another is... <laughs> Why? Is it because she couldn't see it? <laughs> <laughs> right? And here, here's another posed explanation. In 1829, historian D. Martin Fernandez de Navarrete Navarrete, uh, suggested that it may have been a mistake. He noted that the Santa Maria mm-hmm. of the three ships, you know, the Nina Pinta Santa Maria, the Santa Maria was the big ship, mm-hmm. was way further behind the two smaller ships. Like, it was lagging ass. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, and he suggested that they may have seen light from one of those distant ships and that it wasn't from an island at the time. But he didn't have, I don't think he had all the access to the research and articles that we can get much more easily now. That's pretty much bull because there is written documentation of people seeing this light on the Pinta, meaning they saw light uh, and it couldn't have been from their ship if they saw it in the distance. Okay. Yeah, uh, one of them was, I think, the is like the brother or son of the captain of the Pinta has like documentations talking about witnessing the land. Also referring the same thing kind yeah. of thing. Yeah. Another suggestion has been uh, that maybe it was natives with torches fishing out at sea and they were much closer. Ooh. Uh, this has been discounted mostly oh. because experts consider midnight fishing 30 miles away from shore to be impractical and dangerous. And they probably wouldn't be doing it, Uh, especially because the area doesn't actually get easier to fish at night. There's no reason to. Oh, I see. Okay, so So, probably not then. Yeah. I mean, it's an idea, but why? Right. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Another suggestion. I think this is a really fun suggestion because it sounds like something I would have said (laughs) is that they're all lying. Word of mouth and rumors would have. Well, I'm just saying that like. You mean to get the land? Exactly. 
So just imagine one guy says they see a light and they're like, oh man, I think you might have seen land. Or someone says, I think I saw land. Everyone's like, well, I saw the land too. Oh, I saw the light. But no one turned towards it, meaning nothing was specifically said, but everyone is now because they made landfall the next day when the documentation of this voyage was coming out and they wanted to get money and recognition. Everyone's like, oh yeah, we all saw this light. We saw mm-hmm. this light and it was weird. And that's why we didn't go because we weren't sure if it was land because it was kind of weird. But, but then because there they was were all, land. They were all kind of lying and they're like, but we should probably not go. No, 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 Because yeah. they're, they're just wanting the credit, not so much real credibility. Exactly. Well, I'd say that the fact that they didn't change course really lends this theory credit. That's a really good point. Yeah. It probably was lying. But the, I don't know, but the two ships saying that they saw it, that's kind of Two different ships. Two different yeah, ships. Exactly. Uh, at the same time, theoretically, Unless they later went back and put in that information to They are all chummy. You know, when they, made, when they made landfall, they were all probably all hanging around. So they all told each other, oh, he saw the light. Oh, I did too on a different ship. And then we, just like. We were closer. It was me. <laughs> in small writing, put in between other facts. Who knows? And and let's be honest. I'm, I'm a victim of this. Sometimes if you tell a lie long enough, you forget it's a lie and you believe it. Yeah, I guess so. Um, and, and, and just to put. Uh, credit to this, if, even if it was true or if it was a lie that was believed to be true, one of those crewmates who claimed to have seen the light first, he said, I saw the light. You should tell Columbus. And they went and told Columbus. And Columbus's reply was allegedly, oh, yeah, I already saw the light. Oh, it God. wasn't you who saw it first, which totally goes in line with everything I've heard about Columbus from <laughs> actual historians as opposed to people who – paint this pretty picture of a wonderful <laughs> adventure i'm like yes he was a jerk and he wanted his fam he's a um, he's the um first uh one upper kind <laughs> yeah. of guy oh i already saw i just didn't say anything i actually saw a bigger light earlier but i didn't <laughs> say anything it was cooler <laughs> um but anyway this crew member was so upset about this because his claim was considered to have no merit over seeing land first out of anger uh, once he returned to spain he left spain went to africa Traveled there, he like went to live in Africa, and he renounced his faith in Catholicism. Damn, he was pissed. So either he saw a light and he no one believed him, or he really believed his own lie. So either way, you don't do that unless you're passionate about something. I mean, it's so weird to me still to like understand that because he didn't receive credit and money, he like renounced a religion. I'm like, wait a minute, they should be like two different things. Ah, but this was the but time at the of time faith. it was like the way of life yeah. no totally uh but it's weird so there was this movie that came out in the early 90s called 1492 which was on the i think you it, tried making me watch it one time yeah it's called 1492 conquest of paradise it's a ridley scott film some guy who did like blade yeah Alien. it looks super boring well it's long and it's very <laughs> it he tried to make it historically accurate but the problem is it wasn't super historically accurate but it came out on the 500 year anniversary and so there's um it's hard for me to remember the differences between what I learned in that movie as a kid mm-hmm. and what I learned in college. And I realized, okay, this, these two things are true. These two things don't agree and everything. So I kind of miss things up. But anyway, the whole reason I was bringing this up is one of the most powerful things that happened in the beginning of the movie was when he was trying to persuade the crown to give him money to sail for Spain. He's going through the streets and the people are bringing up women and burning them on pyres in the middle of the streets. And it was just this whole moment about how faith and religion was so impactful in people's life at the time. I mean, when you find a country 
when you find when you find i'm sorry i think you lost me at like burning women at post were they witches or like uh i think they were people who uh sacrificing themselves like what was happening here? i think they were victims of the spanish inquisition oh i see i'm trying to remember it's been years since i've seen that movie and i kind of need to rewatch it but um i mean can you imagine you know if you're a faith led nation at the time and you go sailing and all of a sudden you find this whole massive land with people who've never been contacted in you know recorded history at this point Mm -hmm. um none of that stuff was in the bible (laughs) and so they're really confused about what's happening and i think at that point it just like went off course yeah there was a there was a lot of conflict at that time definitely I but, think, uh, yeah. <laughs> but, I don't even know. Uh, but on that note, <laughs> let's get to the controversial explanations. Uh-oh. Uh, the writer of the paper poses their explanation for the event as being the real answer, and it's unlike any other. And <laughs> I'm feeling some people are going to roll their eyes, but it's interesting. He suggests that they saw marine bioluminescence. Ooh. So kind of sounds Wait, like Wait, like the... a jellyfish flying in the air? <laughs> like what are we were What are you saying here? Well, let, let me let me divulge <laughs> for you. They remarked that when sailing in the tropics, displays of bioluminescence is not uncommon. It would have also been something the sailors hadn't seen before, and they'd only been in those waters for such a short period of time, they wouldn't have had time to get to acquainted with the phenomenon or even know what they were seeing. Mm. According to the writer, quote, there are many varieties of marine organisms which give off light. Two which give off light near the surface are the Bahamian fireworm, Odon, I'm going to butcher these scientific names, Odontocillus, and blooms of tiny organisms called dinoflagellates. Uh, of these, Noctiluca or Suratium become visible. Uh, Chase, I need you to really pronounce these, otherwise I won't know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> right? Become visible as a glow when disturbed by a ship's bow, a swimmer, mm. or a wave breaking against a reef on a shore. Yeah, I've seen those. In some varieties of, oh my god, another one, Ganyal. Uh, <laughs> Ganyalek's emission of light has been noted to follow a circadian rhythm with the greatest quantity occurring just after midnight. And that would make sense. Uh, one, the time frame mm-hmm. fits. And then waves going up and down, they probably were misunderstanding its... Ascension and descension. Oh, right. Yeah. And these events... So, oh, end quote, by the way. After, <laughs> after the Wait, midnight. not the other yeah, side. Yeah. But these events are also at a high point during certain months, of which October is one of them. Ooh. So October at midnight seems like a really good time to see these. And this guy was talking about active experience in the areas. This happens a lot. And so it's not like, oh, it's not like just a random glowing green ball gas light that someone sees in the mountains when they see a UFO. And like, that's what it was. This is apparently common. Sure. It's all the time. So it gets interesting. And so, so, so like you said, the waves, the introduction of massive ships into the environment, which would have been disturbing it in a way that hadn't been done before. Sure. And the light enhancing salt spray mentioned by Wolper in, in her studies, all would suggest that everything could be explained about these mysterious lights with this. It's weird that this explanation does cover a lot of the bases. In fact, I'd say all of the bases. Most of them. I would, the only thing, well, who knows? Um, The ball, though, saying that it was like a ball. Well, oh, but see, I guess I didn't say that earlier. Most of the people described it as looking like a big candlelight. Oh. 
So Maybe that, I, I think that means that. it moves and is weird and whatnot. Like flickering and that would actually... Okay, I well think, now... Well, at that time, they wouldn't know what a ball of light looks like except for the sun. Like their reference in 1492 for light is candles and fires. So it might have been so, just the best way they could have described exactly. it. Exactly. So yeah. we don't actually know specifically what they saw because how would they... They've seen the sun, the moon, <laughs> and fire. <laughs> yeah, it looked like a giant orb. So... We can accept that. Uh, the guy actually made a good case for it. And I'm like, okay, you know what? It's probably the most reasonable solution. Mm-hmm. But it's not the only explanations. We okay. have to get into the funniest one, which is that it was a UFO. <laughs> that was my initial gut reaction. <laughs> <laughs> so I have to step outside tropical terror for a second because UFOs don't belong in tropical terror. But I have to talk about it. Sure. The fact that the light was both flashing intermittent and seem to ascend are all telltale signs of UFO. Mm-hmm. But outside of that, nothing else is UFO. Like it wasn't moving through the sky or anything. But it, was, it disappeared. It did disappear, but it wasn't like moving quickly. It wasn't moving erratically and doing things like they said it was ascending and descending, but it was, they weren't saying like it jumped to the right and then the left and up. Like all the UFO sightings we see now do really weird things. And this one, it does seem weird specifically in their time frame. But for the most part, they just kind of up and down. Maybe they just got a really lazy UFO that day. (laughs) Just a really crappy UFO. Yeah. And besides, if you really think about it, the whole bioluminescent thing didn't fit as well because let me tell you, it wasn't as constant. And you said that it was always with uh, the breaks of waves and all these things. It wouldn't have just been for a moment. They would have consistently been saying, um, hey, look at that. There's, it's all around us. It wouldn't have been in one specific direction, right? Well, but they said a lot of it could be broken up by water getting uh, the the bow of the ship moving in through the water. So it might have actually been directed kind of in a specific direction. Oh, if it was okay. being caused by the breaks in the water by the boats, is oh, what he was suggesting. It was kind of okay. disrupting the area and everything like that. Which, in the still water, you wouldn't have seen it, but all of a sudden the boats are getting close to land. They're disturbing the water. The water's also going to crash against the shore, kind of creating a perfect environment. Okay, I guess that... And by the perfect environment, I mean, so they saw a flickering intermediate light for a very short while and it went away. I mean, a small thing (laughs) that everyone wanted to claim they saw because they wanted money for seeing land. Right, okay, fine. Uh, Fair enough. I don't want to believe the UFO because it doesn't have any of the other UFO stuff. It just... But I am going to say... Because sometimes I like talking about this. If we get into the sci-fi movie mindset. Oh, Lord. <laughs> wouldn't it be a cool story that future historians with time travel would travel back in time to witness important human events, such as the landing of Columbus in the New World? What if we saw the fleeting evidence of future documentarians in their ship just wanting to witness Columbus, Columbus landing in the New World? Of all things. Isn't that just interesting? I mean, I guess so. Time machines, you can do it. You can go anywhere. I'm pretty sure they're going to get everything. Yeah, I guess so. Um, That is a little sphere. (laughs) The movie (laughs) and slash book uh, for me. But yeah, possibly. Future us. Why not? I'm not saying those are happening. I'm just saying it's a cool sci-fi movie idea right there. (laughs) But anyway. Yep, yep. So that's, that's pretty much what we have here. Um... But there is a reason I brought up this story. I didn't just say, ooh, Columbus, I can't wait to talk about him or something like that. (laughs) It was nothing like that. Good old Chris. I discovered this while researching something else, something bigger, that is going to be a much larger story that I'm going to give to you guys next week. It's going to be my big story, my big tropical terrors. And this served as a segue 
because you see this event is considered by many to be the first documented supernatural occurrence in the Bermuda Triangle. Oh. <laughs> oh my god. So if you're like me, just hearing the name Bermuda Triangle brings about chills and childhood fascination. So next episode with this as the lead in, I'm going all in on Bermuda Ooh. Triangle stories. I'm so excited. Which is like the biggest tropical tear I could do. You know, uh, my story, a lot of people consider it the Mexican Bermuda Triangle. (laughs) (laughs) I did read that somewhere. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. I did read that somewhere. And I'm like, so the triangle is like in the same location. Like, it's just, you know, have you ever, well, of course you've seen it in Idle Hands (laughs) where she like, starts documenting uh specific areas that Mm -hmm. these weird like demonic possessions are occurring (laughs) and she like draws like the she just sees a bunch of dots and she makes a (laughs) pentagram out of it but it doesn't make sense it doesn't doesn't it doesn't like touch all the dots (laughs) and she's like holy shit and she's like coincidence and there's all these other dots on the side that she's ignoring anyway i don't know why that made me think of that probably because mexico is like uh me too it's a triangle if we really try hard enough who knows they should call it the chihuahua triangle (laughs) well actually because it's partially in chihuahua it's partially in three states but like overlapping not necessarily triangle is there anything that's like mexican and triangular what do you mean apart from a tortilla chip like (laughs) (laughs) the tortilla chip phenomenon (laughs) That is our episode name. <laughs> tortilla chip. <laughs> the silent tortilla chip regions. The nacho. Uh, I think we can do better Anomalies. Than that. I don't know. We'll, we'll think of something. But anyway, that's my story. I hope you liked it. I thought it was interesting that we have 500-year-old documentations of people seeing a strange light that should have been land, but it wasn't good enough for them to do it. And modern scientists are like, yeah, that's weird. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't actually match up with anything about your nautical placement your speed where you were like it just doesn't match I mean, right but props to like people trying to figure it out it's like they're so obsessed i mean think of what what resources they had to go through you know they had to get a boat they had to like get some guys to go on this island set f- multiple fires um, i'm assuming guys already lived on the island <laughs> i'm betting she just said hey you live here can you light a fire <laughs> here's 50 bucks yeah people live there i mean it's an inhabited uh, island i know i know i just i don't know like it's a lot of effort. Maybe it's just like a fun experiment. Who knows? I do think it'd be cool to go to that island, though. Yeah. Because I, I've read a lot of the arguments as to why it's probably the island, and I believe it. I think it'd be pretty neat to go there just to see. Cool. Yeah. Oh, I got it. The no nacho zone. Oh, now that's depressing. Oh, that's true. It makes it sound like no nachos exist. And they exist. You just can't get to them because the aliens are keeping you away from it. <laughs> Aw. See, that's even sadder. Okay. No nacho zone is... Uh, <laughs> it's out. Vetoed. Okay. So uh, we got to end the episode now because you're just going to keep giving ideas <laughs> for what you want it to be called for I the know. rest of time. I'm not going to stop. Okay. So anyway, uh, I think that brings us to a close this week. Thank you guys for listening. If you have any stories that you think people should know, we want to hear from you. Please drop us a line at hotwpodcast at gmail.com or through Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all the social media things that you know, you may or may not use. Uh, <laughs> as always, we post episodes every Saturday and you can find us on all the standard podcast platforms. 
We want to thank you all for joining us today. Once again, if like us, you are imbibing away, cheers and have another. I know we will. Well, I'll do my root beer because of my you know, medicine. Mm-hmm. Um, if you are listening to us on your way to work or while being a productive member of society, good on you. And I hope your day is awesome. But if you had me hung over while listening to this, you know, like on a Sunday after you imbibed a little hard the night before, don't worry, because the best cure for a hangover is fear. Bye.